Chapter Twenty Nine of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monsieur Etienne Dusset sat in his favourite chair by the window in an attitude of deep dejection. All about him on the floor, scattered newspapers, both French and English, bore witness to the fact that Monsieur Dusset had been spending his Sunday in a characteristically American manner. His rumpled hair and the deep pucker between his brows evidenced the singular dissatisfaction he had derived from his survey of the world's doings. The house was very quiet, save for a moaning little wind, which seemed to be seeking entrance about the doors and windows of the shabby old house. He wondered a little as to the whereabouts of his daughter Madeline. He had not seen her since déjeuner, being dimly aware thereafter of her fresh young voice in the kitchen, warbling certain old French chansons he had taught her when a child. Absorbed in a disquieting account of his country's economic condition, he had scarcely lifted his eyes from his reading when she paused for a moment on her way upstairs. He had not heard her come down. Monsieur Dessay arose, spurning the illustrated edition with his foot. For perhaps ten minutes he marched up and down the room, unwonted thoughts stirring in his mind. Where was Madeleine? He would go upstairs and see. But a visit to her nest of a chamber under the eaves revealed nothing save the evidences of a hasty toilette. Monsieur Dessay picked up a knot of rose-coloured ribbon, exhaling a faint perfume. He sighed deeply. It had not been soberly considered, this coming to America, and now he felt that he must return. No longer could he remain, enjoying an unearned and inglorious idleness, while France grew pale and cold from uncounted wounds. "'I am no less than a coward,' he told himself between clenched teeth. But what of Madeleine? Had she been dearer to him than France? Was it because of her he had fled from his duty to this alien land, where even now the distant rumblings of war could be heard?' Very gently he put down the rose-coloured token of youth. It was as if he had laid Madeline herself upon the blood-stained altar of his country. He had at length determined upon his course. Neither tears nor pleadings should deflect him from it. His brow was still corrugated with care when half an hour later he presented himself in frock-coated elegance at the door of Mademoiselle Dubois-Bennet. He had come, he said, to seek counsel from Madame sa mère. Oh, no, ain't that too bad, regretted Miss Malvina, recognising the importance of the occasion, as her eyes perused the person of her neighbour from his polished boots to the tricolore of France in his buttonhole. Oh, ma, don't go out once in a coon's age. Oh, but today, Miss Adelbert Cummins, erst was Mrandy de Bois, come after ma in her auto, and I says to ma, you go right along, I says, and don't you come back till you're good and ready. Miss Cummins wanted ma should stay all night, because there was a third cousin of her and come to dinner. So here I be, all be my lonesome. Oh, but come right in, do. I'd be pleased to see you, even if ma ain't at home. Monsieur de Say hesitated for the fraction of a minute. It occurred to him that possibly he might be committing an indiscretion in thus visiting the unchaperoned Miss Malvina, but the sight of the glistening silver curls about her temple reassured him. He remembered that he was no longer young, and neither was Miss Malvina. 
much could be overlooked in the conduct of persons no longer young they were presently seated in the haircloth parlour facing one another from two slippery chairs with carved rosewood backs designed especially to remind frail mortals of the passage of the moments m desaye gazed earnestly at miss malvina she was wearing a lavender gown with a garniture of yellowish lace miss malvina's cheeks were of an unwonted pink and her eyes shone under her white curls oh say first off ain't want to tell you this smart trick miss reverend pettibone's yellow dog played on me yesterday she began without waiting for her visitor to unfold his errand might as well speak right out for see you can't help noticing my loss my nice black hair front was a-layin on a chair right where i could put my hand on it if the door-bell rang well i seen flora and the baby a-comin in the gate and the dog a-followin em as large as life oh but thinks as i mrs reverend pettibone knows my hair's been grey since i was twenty so i left my front a-lyin careless well the baby he sat there in an old comfort i keep a purpose for babies when their ma's bein fitted a-playin with a string of empty spools and fido he set solemn as a judge a-watchin the baby miss pettibone was telling what a wonderful dog fido pettibone was when she wa'n't relating incidents about the baby with me a listening patient while i draped the goods for her skirt like they do in sure paree as mrs hobbs used to say when all of a sudden i noticed fido he was worrying something in the corner and growling fierce and the baby was laughing to beat the band he'd stole my hair front by the time we got it from him there wa'n't nothing left but the foundation i felt pretty well cut up over it and miss philura she said she'd buy me a new one in a nice medium shade of brown but i says no mr pettibone's salary i says wasn't planned for purchasing luxuries besides i says fido didn't know no better i guess i told mrs pettibone a fib but i says to her i'd made up my mind to look old and be done with it so here i be m desaye had listened to miss malvina's explanation of her bereft condition with an air of profound interest his occasional well-timed gestures and murmured comments sustaining the little lady's narrative to its conclusion mes compliments to fido he observed gently i have to thank that most noble animal for a deed of kindness performed for land's sake do you mean to tell me you like me looks better without my front demanded miss malvina excitedly precisément murmured m desaye you have now the air gentil autrefois regrettably lacking merci grâce à dieu well i declare breathed miss bennett i relieve to hear you say that i suppose being french you'd admire most anything stylish and handsome oh but if you don't miss malvina paused uncertainly the faint colour in her cheek deepening to rose m desaye sighed dear friend he said i am about to bid you adieu i have determined i have resolved no longer i remain in america supinely attentive to the groans of france i go i fly to offer my breast to the sword that seeks her life 
Monsieur de Say had considered this eloquent explanation of his purposes with care, hence its bewildering effect upon his listener. Miss Malvina's late blooming roses withered on the instant. "'You're going away?' she quavered. "'You're Madeline, just as I, just as Ma and me, was it again used to have new for neighbours. "'Noblesse oblige. I can no longer remain.' assented Monsieur de Say with an eloquent gesture. But of Madeleine I would speak. I regret to tear Madeleine from your most kind affection and the discreet curatelle of Madame votre mère. It is of this I would speak beyond. Miss Malvina sighed, her eyes seeking the window where an hour earlier she had watched Madeleine walking with Harry Schwartz in an almost visible aureole of happiness. "'I should certainly hope not,' she agreed warmly, "'considering Madeline's got a steady bow "'and can't be beat nowheres in France to say nothing of Europe. "'When it comes to husbands, a good plain American is good enough for me. "'If you'll leave her with Ma Bennett and me, "'we'll take care of her till Harry can afford to get married.' Monsieur de Say frowned thoughtfully. "'Your country also faces war,' he said but it will not invade your homes, as in France. He cast a swiftly appraising glance about the sparsely furnished room, his thoughts, meanwhile, sweeping the wider prospect of his past and future. It is improbable I return, he said at length. Two large tears welled up in Miss Malvina's eyes, trembled for an instant on her lashes, and then, without pretense of concealment, rolled down her cheeks. Monsieur de Say observed the phenomenon gravely. It suggested a heretofore unconsidered way out of his dilemma. He arose, and with careful dignity bowed low before the lady who had thus honoured him with her tears. Sans cérémonie, ma chère amie, since the hour it is brief, let me ask that you do me the grand honour of becoming before my departure Madame de Say. Most happy I leave my Madeleine in your care. You will consent, oui? Miss Malvina trembled to her feet. Oh, what? You want I should... Oh, I'm afraid I don't... I am request that you honour me by marry. Oh, I regret I have not proper English to speak and no dictionary in pocket. You understand me? We oui? well, I ain't quite a ninny," said Miss Malvina, recovering her self-possession. "You want I should marry you, so to look after Madeline when you are gone back to France. I guess that's about the size of it." She nodded emphatically. "Ah, you have speak most noble. I thank you, dear friend. You shall not regret it. I promise." Miss Malvina submitted, as on previous occasions, to the touch of bearded lips upon her hand. A wave of rose-coloured mist appeared to enfold her. Monsieur de Say was of a sudden radiant, loquacious. Like one in a dream, she heard him setting forth his plans for an immediate marriage, with incomprehensible details concerning appanage and dot. Also, he apologised profusely for not having asked the honour of her hand in marriage from Madame Dubois-Bennet, as was indeed right and proper. 
Miss Malvina roused herself at this. I don't know as Ma'll have any real objections to offer, she said with dignity. And I guess maybe I'm old enough to speak for myself. Then, without warning, a sob escaped her tremulous lips. I wish I once old, she whispered. If I was only young and handsome, like as not you'd... Land, I guess you'll think I'm crazy for thinking of such a thing. She wiped her eyes and sealed up her tears with an energetic sniff. Monsieur Desay was looking at her very kindly. If he did not entirely comprehend her thoughts, his Gallic sympathies suggested his quick rejoinder. Hélas, he murmured, it is true we are no longer possessed of la jeunesse. But I find you most charmante, chère Miss Malvina. For you, I shall ever cherish la consideration profonde. Miss Malvina smiled bravely. I'll be good to Madeleine, she said, and I hope she won't mind me being her stepmother. Of course, I, I can see why you thought of marrying me. Tain't like we was young folks. But I'd really like to stand up to be married in a white dress. I can keep it to put away afterwards. To look at and remember. Again, Monsieur Desay's active imagination rose to the occasion. He took Miss Malvina's work-worn little hand in his. Cher ami, said he, I have not deserved such bonheur. On a far distant battlefield, I shall also remember. From his finger he drew a ring, fashioned of gold, and bearing a heraldic device of dragons in deadly combat. Miss Malvina's fingers were rough with needle pricks, and her joints bore witness to rheumatic pains humbly borne. But the quaint old ring, treasured through many generations, slipped easily into place. For remember of most happy heir, he said gently. End of chapter 29